August 5th. Today, as we open the New Testament, it'll be uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. We'll go through chapter 2, verse 5. Now, Corinth, the capital of Achaia, was perhaps the richest and most important city in Greece, and it was also the most corrupt. A center for trade, Corinth was invaded by all kinds of religions and philosophies. Paul founded the Corinthian church during his second missionary journey, and he ministered there for a year and a half. After he left, serious problems developed in the church, and Paul wrote the members a stern letter that was not successful. He heard that the church was divided, and then a delegation from the church arrived in Ephesus with a letter asking Paul's help regarding specific questions. 1 Corinthians was his response. Paul dealt with sin in the church, and then he answered the questions they asked. As we begin in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, even though believers are all one in Christ Jesus, the local church often suffers from division. Why? Well, for one thing, we forget the calling we have in Christ. It is only by God's grace that we have been called, and this fact should humble us and encourage us to love one another. Another factor is our tendency to follow human leaders and develop a fan club mentality. Christ died for us and lives to bless us, and He must have the preeminence. A third factor is dependence on human wisdom and philosophies, of which there were many in Corinth. And, of course, there are a lot today. The world's wisdom had crept into the church, and it did not mix with the wisdom of God. Various theologies are the attempts of scholars to interpret the Word of God. But they are not the Word. Never allow them to be a cause of division. And as we begin reading in chapter 2, we'll read about power. Paul did not imitate the itinerant teachers in Corinth who depended on their eloquence and intellectual brilliance. Paul's faith was in God, not in himself. He wanted sinners to trust in Christ's power. Now, you may think you lack ability to serve God, but God can turn your weakness into strength. See, the gospel still works. And with that, let's begin our reading today in the New Testament. August 5th, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. We'll go through chapter 2 and verse 5. I, Paul, know very well how foolish the message of the cross sounds to those who are on the road to destruction. But we who are being saved recognize this message as the very power of God. As the scriptures say, I will destroy human wisdom and discard their most brilliant ideas. So where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, and the world's brilliant debaters? God has made them all look foolish and has shown their wisdom to be useless nonsense. Since God in His wisdom saw to it that the world would never find Him through human wisdom, He has used our foolish preaching to save all who believe. God's way seems foolish to the Jews because they want a sign from heaven to prove it is true. And it is foolish to the Greeks because they believe only what agrees with their own wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended, and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. But to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, 
Christ is the mighty power of God and the wonderful wisdom of God. This foolish plan of God is far wiser than the wisest of human plans, and God's weakness is far stronger than the greatest of human strength. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, the few of you who were wise in the world's eyes, or powerful, or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God deliberately chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And He chose those who are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important, so that no one can ever boast in the presence of God. God alone made it possible for you to be in Christ Jesus. For our benefit, God made Christ to be wisdom itself. He is the one who made us acceptable to God. He made us pure and holy, and He gave Himself to purchase our freedom. As the Scriptures say, the person who wishes to boast should boast only of what the Lord has done. Dear brothers and sisters, when I first came to you, I didn't use lofty words and brilliant ideas to tell you God's message. For I decided to concentrate only on Jesus Christ and His death on the cross. I came to you in weakness, timid and trembling, and my message and my preaching were very plain. I did not use wise and persuasive speeches, but the Holy Spirit was powerful among you. I did this so that you might trust the power of God rather than human wisdom. Hey, great to see you again. I'm Dave. We're talking about the love of God. Now, I would imagine that the worst thing in the world that could happen for a father is for his high school daughter to come home and say, I met a boy and I'm in love and he loves me. Okay, um, ask her what that means and she'll probably say something like, Oh, he's so cute or um, he's, he, he was nice to me or he sent me a heart emoji. I hate to burst any high school girl's bubble, but that is not love. Okay, so what is love? How can you tell if it's real love? Well, Scripture is clear about it. It consistently says this. Love is not how you feel. Love is what you do. And so here's how it works. Let's say that you and your family, you have a baby, and I want to help you out a little bit. So if I love you kind of down here at this level, I am going to sacrifice some of my time and I'll, I'll make a meal for you. Uh, okay, if I love you at this level, kind of midway, uh, I might even be willing to change your baby's diaper. And if I love you way up here, I, I might even be willing to pay your hospital bill. So do you, see the, do you see the point? The greater the sacrifice, the greater the love. All right, so how much do you love God? Listen to what God says in 1 John. He says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Wow. Have you ever heard of such love? I mean, I've got one son. I love him dearly. And if you said to me, hey, Dave, I'm really in a bind here. Could you send your son to go mow my lawn? You know what? I'd probably say sure. But if you're on death row and you said, hey, Dave, I'm really in a bind here. Could you send your son to sit in the electric chair for me? There is just no way. I don't care who you are. No one in the history of the world has ever loved like that. But God did. God loved you just like that. The greater the sacrifice, the greater the love. Do you see how much God loves you? And that makes a huge difference in our lives. 
what God says here is that he loved you that way so that we might live through him. In other words, that news of life then being secured because of Jesus changes my life right now. Think of it this way. Imagine there are two guys who have the same job. They're working in a factory. Let's say they're packaging cogs. They work 12 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. From the outside, their lives look identical. But there's one difference. It's what they're working for. Say the first guy was told that at the end of the year, you're going to make $15,000. And then the second guy was told at the end of the year, you're going to make a billion dollars. Does that little piece of information change how they're going to work? (laughs) Absolutely. The first guy is going to be packaging his cogs and he's going to go, this stinks. The second guy, though, knowing what's waiting for him, is going to say, you know what, this isn't so bad. And so that that news of eternal life might change your life now, love sent Jesus for you. Today we're reading in Psalm 27, verses 7 through 14. What makes you afraid? Darkness? But the Lord is your light. Danger? He is also your salvation. Deficiency? He is your strength. Then why be afraid? See what he does for you. God saves you. Because he was not a priest, David could not actually go into the tabernacle. But he could still rest in the Lord and trust him as his refuge. The New Testament equivalent for this is abide in me. In him is perfect safety. God smiles on you. You must go beyond merely seeking God's help. Seek his face. The smile of God is all you need to overcome the scowls of men. And God shows you the way. Satan wants to trap you, but the Lord will show you the safe way. Believe his promise and walk by faith. His goodness will be with you. Oh, and very important, God strengthens you. We need strength for the battle and strength for the journey, don't we? And God abundantly provides. Be sure to take time to wait on the Lord. If you run ahead of Him or lag behind, you'll be a perfect target for the enemy. Psalm 27, verses 7 through 14. Listen to my pleading, O Lord. Be merciful and answer me. My heart has heard you say, Come and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I am coming. Do not hide yourself from me. Do not reject your servant in anger. You have always been my helper. Don't leave me now. Don't abandon me, O God of my salvation. Even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. Teach me how to live, O Lord. Lead me along the path of honesty, for my enemies are waiting for me to fall. Do not let me fall into their hands, for they accuse me of things I've never done and breathe out violence against me. Yet I am confident that I will see the Lord's goodness while I am here in the land of the living. Wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. Proverbs 20, verses 22 and 23. Don't say, I will get even for this wrong. Wait for the Lord to handle the matter. The Lord despises double standards. He is not pleased by dishonest scales.